Welcome to TCC Alive, a podcast of Tulare Community Church. Well, good morning. It's, uh, it's good to be with you guys this morning. I just want to add my personal thanks to, to yeah, the men and women that have died for this country, just the fact that we're here this morning. And so, like Jeff said, um, I come from a, a line of teachers, a family of teachers, and so I really got to do my best not, not to be too teachy this morning. I'll try to b- bring the word. I want you to guys leave you. He brought it, man. He brought it, so I'll do my best. Um, you know, what I want you to do first is grab those notes. Um, now, now I'm already starting off on the wrong foot, right? It's like school all over again. Grab your notes, grab a pen, and um, at the very top, you're going to see something called the, the sphere of influence. And I'm sure a lot of you have done this before, but this is a good kind of exercise to, to do more than once. And I know some of you are thinking, oh, I'll just take notes in my head, because I know you're thinking that, because I always think that, but don't do that. Actually, grab the notes and do this with me. So in the middle of that circle, you're just going to write your name pretty small, um, there's not a lot of room, so yeah, just write kind of small, put your name in the middle, and around that, um, you're going to be thinking of the clusters, of the, uh, the communities that you're involved in, the groups of people that you're in, not naming people individually, but just the groups and the communities that you're finding yourself in on a, on a weekly basis. And so just a couple examples, I know like a lot of my students might be on club sports teams, right? So maybe you just put club volleyball or something like that, and that would include all the parents, coaches, and friends that you would see in that community. Or maybe you might just put work, right? And that would include everyone that you see in a given week at work. And so be working on that as I'm talking. It might take you, you might be thinking even in in 10, 20 minutes, a a group might pop up in your mind and and just be kind of filling that out. So the three types of relationships that you'll see as you're writing in this sphere of influence are are pretty simple. You're going to have acquaintances, just people that you have a pretty surfacey relationship with. You'll have uh, friends and family that are on there. And what I hope you see from today is the significance of these relationships and the way that God uses relationships in our lives. And so I think for a lot of us in here today, if you thought about the jobs that you've had in your past, maybe the job that you have currently, there's a good chance that along the way you've been kind of helped out and connected uh, with the job that you have through friends or family or acquaintances. Not as many of us find those jobs through like a help wanted ad or or even think, how did you come to know who Jesus is and your relationship with God? How did that start? And I think, again, most of us, including myself, it's through friends or family or acquaintances that tell us and, and that bring us to this knowledge of who Jesus is. It's often not something that we see on, on TV or by opening up the Bible that we find you know, in, at, at a hotel room. You can always find a Bible in there. That's normally not how we come to know who Jesus is. It's through these three types of of relationships. So I hope um, that I can make that point this morning is how awesome and how important um, the relationships in our lives are. So with, with, with that being said, I want to pray with, uh, uh, with us really, really quick, and then we'll look at John 1, um, and we'll, we'll move forward. So let's pray. God, I just thank you so much for what you've done and what you're doing in this church. Um, Lord, I just pray that as we look at your word and we see um, the example of the disciples and of of Jesus. Lord, I just pray that you'd put something on our heart this morning. I pray that you would encourage us or, or motivate us in some way, um, that as we leave uh, today and we go through our week, Lord, that you would just put a passion and a fire for who you are. Lord, I just pray that you would be putting people on our mind, people that are in our sphere of influence, um, 
uh, that you want us to be witnesses to. So God, I just I thank you for all that you've done, and I, I pray that you'd bless this congregation today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So you'll, you'll see on, on sort of the outline or the notes in there that I, that I came up with three elements that I see through this passage. And so nothing I'm going to say here today is going to be brand new or just like this exciting new thing. All of this is things I'm sure you guys have heard. I just hope that today there's a fresh perspective or, or something that just hits you a little bit differently. And so the first, the first element, the first thing that, that popped up to me as I was reading uh, through this passage was that there is a social element in, in this uh, section of Scripture. And so we're going to read just a few verses, and, and I'll kind of unpack that a little bit more. So starting at verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked, Come and see, said Philip. So I want to remo- rewind for just a second and, and look at how did we get to this point? Like, how did we get to this uh, place where Jesus had a few people following him, devoting their lives to him? And so at the beginning of John 1, John the disciple is, is authoring this book, and, and he's, he's uh, telling it the way he saw it. And, and John the Baptist is the first uh, sort of character that we see. And John the Baptist is the first one that God reveals to him that is the Son of God. That's the Messiah. So John the Baptist is this crazy cousin. Right? John and Jesus are, are cousins, and he's a crazy dude that lives out in the wilderness. And he sees Jesus one day, and he says, that is the Lamb of God. Well, John had some people that were connected to him, and it says that two of his followers left and went to follow Jesus. Andrew, and then someone that's not named but we, we have good reason to think that, that would be John the disciple. So let's just say Andrew and John leave and they go and follow Jesus. And that's because John and Andrew had this relationship with John the Baptist, that they know him, they trust him. And when John tells them something, they can believe that. And they go and they follow, they follow Jesus. Sorry, this is just going all crazy. Um, so then John and Andrew go and get Peter. Andrew is the brother of Peter, and John is like fishing buddies or fishing partners with Peter. And so when they come to Peter, Peter's like, well, you're my brother, and I fish with you. All right, I can get on board with this program. And then from there, we find Philip in in these verses. And Philip, it says, is from the hometown, hometown buddies with Andrew and Peter. Maybe they went to junior high together, and they got in, in a few fights. I don't know, but they know each other, and... And so there's this connection. And so just at the start of Jesus' ministry, all the disciples that come to follow him are somehow connected and are, are tied to one another. There's, there's a social element between them. And then we get to Nathaniel. I have to believe that Philip and Nathaniel must be friends of some sort because Philip goes straight to Nathaniel. And he says, hey, we found him. You've got to come and see and this is what I want you to be thinking of, and it's, it's on your notes, is that God uses our relationships for a purpose. God uses our relationships for a purpose. 
this, this start of Jesus' ministry is very much impacted by the social relationships that are found amongst these disciples. And I don't think that was a mistake. That, that was God's plan. That was in God's sovereignty that he, he placed people together um, to, to start off Jesus' ministry. And I believe that's true today. Again, if we look at our sphere of influence, I think there's probably names of people in there that have either helped us come to realize who Jesus is or that we have helped come to realize who Jesus is. And so there's, there's a reason for the relationships that God has put us in. And I hope this week there's, there's people that God puts on your mind that says there's more than just a relationship, just a surfacey thing that is going on here, but we need to have a meaningful connection with the people that are around us. And so I also want to look at the, the example that Philip sets for us. He comes to his buddy Nathaniel, and Nathaniel says, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? And you know, there's two things that I, I kind of see, see from that. Number one, he's saying, Nazareth, that, nobody wants to live there. I grew up in Hanford, okay? If you haven't been to Hanford, the water doesn't smell all that great. And when I went to CVC in high school, I often got this uh, um, comment of, Hanford, do you have to drink the water out there? And, and it's like, I have issues today because of the water that I drink, yes. But, but it was just like this, you know, Hanford, and, and I think Nathaniel's responding in that way partially, at Nazareth. All the, they married their first cousins over there. Um, but I also think that he, he also was, a, he, he was well-educated. And so when he hears Nazareth, he's like, that's not where Jesus, that's not where the Messiah is supposed to come from. He's supposed to come from the town of David. Philip got his information wrong, and so Nathaniel's kind of calling him on that. And so immediately we see this, this skepticism within Nathaniel. And Philip, being, I, I think, just a, a good friend, is like, I don't, I don't want to argue with you on the details. Yeah, Nazareth, whatever, but just, just come and see. I think that's a great example that he sets for us of, of it's, it's not, we don't always have to convince people of who Jesus is. We know that God is the, the changer of hearts, but sometimes there's people in our circles that we just need to go up to and say, hey, just come and see. Come and, and just experience maybe my small group. Maybe there's people that God's put on your heart that you've probably heard this before. Just take them out to coffee and say, ask me anything. And and we have to remember, and I'll say it one more time, is that God uses our relationships for his purposes. Let's keep moving. There's the next element that I see in this is Jesus displaying his divine nature, starting at verse 47. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching him, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is nothing false. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. I don't know about you, but I have a tendency to skip over things in the Bible that I don't immediately get. Uh, I just will be like, okay, whatever. Just keep moving on and get the things that I can easily understand. But in this passage, there's something Really cool when we look closer at it. And it's in uh, the, the use of the fig tree. So then, back then, 
a fig tree was, wasn't just a place where you'd go and get figs. It was like maybe our coffee shop. I might go to Starbucks, get myself some coffee, and, and sit down and have some privacy and solitude to study something. Well, then it was known, you know, fig trees kind of had branches that, that hung low, and you could find privacy and solitude there, and you could, it was known to be a place to pray, to meditate on Scripture, and to, to seek God's presence. And so isn't this, this idea that Jesus walked by a fig tree and, like, waved at Nathaniel? It's, Nathaniel is in a time of prayer and of meditation. And when Nathaniel hears Jesus say, I saw you while you're under the fig tree, he's saying that, you know, earlier, when you were seeking God's presence, you know when you were meditating on Scripture and you were, you were praying and you, and you were earnestly seeking me you weren't like the pharisees out in the streets praying in front of everybody but you were you were seeking me in privacy i was there i saw you and then that makes sense why nathaniel would say wow you are the son of god you are the king of israel this morning i i know that there are things in life we've gone through we will go through that, that really our sphere of influence is just not enough. There are things that, that we keep to ourselves that we don't really want to bring up, we don't want to talk about with, with the people that are around us. That it, it's just, instead, there, there's times of desperation, of need, of deep hurt that we carry ourselves and we bring to God earnestly and we seek Him and, and, and we ask for Him to show up. And I, I can tell you, I've, I've been in times of my life like this where... I still don't know. I'm like, God, are, are you there? Like, and, and, and I don't feel your presence. But, but this, this passage right here is, is showing that Jesus is saying, yes, I saw you. I was there. I, I think of Nathaniel. I think he might have been in one of these situations. And at the end of the Old Testament, there's these prophecies about a coming Messiah. And there's 400 years of silence where it seems like God isn't showing up. People live and die in this hope and this expectation of a coming Messiah, and they don't see anything. And I wouldn't be surprised if Nathaniel's there under the fig tree just seeking the presence of God and wondering, are your promises going to come true? And Jesus looks at him and says, I saw you, and I was there. And he, he, he proves to Nathaniel, his faithfulness and his trustworthiness. And, and for some of you this morning, I know there's deep hurt. There's things that we just, the people around us, they just don't seem like quite enough. And so let me just remind you that there's not a time, there's not a place, there's not a moment where God isn't there. This isn't new information, but you just need to be reminded of that this morning. The next thing I see in this, in this passage is a, is a historical element. Now, I love history, but I understand that some people, when I say the word, like, let's look at some history stuff, your brain just shuts off. You don't care. And, and that's okay. My dad and my brother love history. My dad's been a history teacher for 20 years, and uh, it has kind of created in both of us a love for history. Now, I love history, but they love history. And when it comes to sports history... It's ridiculous, and they need to seek Jesus on it because it's becoming a problem. But, um, but they, they just they love history, and so I had to ask them 
Um, what draws you to history? Like, well, what's the draw? My dad told me this. He said, it's incredible to see how great men and women came to change the course of history just by the decisions they made when they're at a crossroads in their life. I thought that was cool, and I thought, who better to prove that point than Jesus Christ, who came, and the decisions that he made at the most important time of history changed the course, changed everything for us. That he didn't just change what's happening here in the physical world, but he saved souls. He saved each and every one of us that believes in him. My brother added that he believes that the stories, he said, I believe that the stories we see in history are more interesting and fascinating than anything that our minds could think of. There's no novelist like God. That's a cool quote. There's no novelist like God. And when we look at history, we see this, yeah, this is God's story. And we look at the Bible, I think it's easy to think of just like there's little stories in here and, and prayers and and there's things that tell us like what to do and, and how to live. And, and that's true. But when we take it in its entirety, we see it as God's story of who he is, of how he relates to us, what he's done for us. And there's no novelist like God. I think Jesus realizes that, that history was important to the Israelites. And there was, there was a history there that, that they knew well. I mean... There were people that, the the students, they had to memorize scripture ridiculously. And so Jesus understands that they know history. And so he uses their own history, the history that he helped author, his story, to relate to Nathaniel and to the people that were there. So this is what he says in verse 50. You believe because I told you I saw you were under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, I tell you the truth, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. That last sentence right there is a direct reference to Jacob's ladder. And yes, I know you're probably thinking, Jacob's ladder, he put that in there on purpose. My name is Jacob. No, I was given this scripture and it is cool because there's a reference to Jacob. Just, I'm, I'm happy about that. But um, it's a direct reference to Jacob's ladder. Let's, let's go back. I think it's Genesis 28, where Jacob is on the run from his brother Esau, who wants to kill him. He finds himself exhausted, and he, he, he lays down, and he rests on a stone. And God gives him this vision of a, a ladder kind of opening up to heaven, and angels are ascending and descending on it. And so, G, sorry, Jacob calls this place Bethel, meaning God's house. And that's in your notes. Bethel means God's house. And so when Jesus looks at Nathanael and he, and he says, there's going to be angels ascending and descending on me. You're going to see greater things than me just telling you that I saw you under the fig tree. Jesus is saying, I'm the embodiment of Bethel. When you're near me, when you're with me, when you're in the presence of me, you are in God's house. I think sometimes we put parameters on what it means to be in God's presence. Like there's a, you know, coming into church, like it's, this is a place where we experience God's presence. And the Israelites, they did that. Bethel was an important part of their history where through the, through the years, prophets lived there. People went there to seek God's presence. 
But Jesus is saying, it's not about that anymore. It's not about going to Bethel to experience God's presence. It's about the fact that when you are with me, when you seek my presence, you're in the house of God. So I think we need to, to stop thinking in our minds like there's a, there's a when and a where and a how we can be in God's presence. But it's so simple. It's just be with Jesus. That's it. Just, just to be with Jesus is to be in God's house. And I hope, I hope that there might be some of you that, you, maybe you've lost sight of that, and this morning you can just remember, it's just to be with Jesus is to be in God's house. It's to experience who he is. Well, I want to zoom out of this passage for a moment and kind of uh, land, land on, on, on something, just, just what, I, what stuck out to me when I, when I zoomed out. I, yeah, I see the, the, the social and the divine and the historical elements that are in there, but when I, when I look outside of it and I see all of what's going on in this passage, I see Jesus as being this incredibly overwhelming character. He is so overwhelming that young men leave everything behind to devote their lives to him. So overwhelming that Nathaniel comes to him as a skeptic. And in one sentence, Jesus changes him to a believer. He's so overwhelming that 2,000 years later, we sit here in Tulare, California, thinking about him and, and here to worship him. And there's millions of people around the world worshiping him. He is an incredibly overwhelming character. I have to admit, I, I look at the example of the disciples and I think, I, I, I want to live that way. I want to be so overwhelmed by who Jesus is that even unto death I would be obedient to him like most of the disciples were. But I have to be honest that I, I'm overwhelmed often by the brokenness of this world. It's not too hard to turn on the, the, the news and just to see everything that's going on from racial problems to um, persecution of Christians, human trafficking. There's, there's just so many things that I'm overwhelmed by because I can't fix. I'm overwhelmed by the to-do list, the just day-to-day things that have to get done, and it just never seems to end. There's just always one more thing to put on that to-do list, and it can be overwhelming at times. I'm overwhelmed by finances, by work, and by just hoping that when I have kids someday, I'll I'll provide for them a a good life. And, And it can all become easily overwhelming. I think the question that we have to ask ourselves, and that I want to ask you this morning, is what overwhelms you? As you go through this week, be asking yourself, I mean daily, I think this is a thing that we never stop asking us, is what overwhelms me? Because if it isn't Jesus, then we're being overwhelmed by the wrong thing. There's nothing that's more overwhelming than the presence of Jesus. And again, I I hope this is an encouragement or a challenge to you this morning that, that when you look at the lives of the disciples and how they become so quickly overwhelmed by Christ, their lives change forever. I hope that we can be so overwhelmed by who Jesus is that we can't help but be constantly thinking about the people 
that God has put in our lives, the relationships that he has there for a purpose, and that we're thinking of who is the next person that God might use me to, to, to make them know about who Jesus is. I think it's easy when we think of the sovereignty of God to say he's in control, I can't screw it up, and praise God because I would screw it up very quickly. But when it comes to the sovereignty of God in his sovereignty, just like the disciples, he placed them in this, they all were connected. In his sovereignty, he's placed us in places. And I hope that we can be so overwhelmed that we're just daily looking for who, who can we be a Philip to? How can we be a Philip and say, come and see? I don't have all the answers. I'm not going to argue with you. I'm not going to say, are you in or are you out? But I just want you to come and see. So this morning, I just want to take maybe two minutes. And I'll ask you guys just to close your eyes for me just, just right now in, the, in, this, in this time. And I want you to ask yourself, what overwhelms you? And I, I think we'll just give it maybe two or three minutes um, to pray before the band comes up and, and leads us in a, in a, in a song to, to close this morning. I just want to take two minutes that you would be praying to God and be asking him to overwhelm you with his presence. Maybe to ask him to remind you that there's not a time or a place or a moment when, when he's not there. Be asking him to put specific people in your mind that, that you might be able to be that connector to. That God has put you in place for a reason. And if you can't think of anyone, maybe today is the, the time to think, what, where can I find someone new to, to build a relationship with? So that's what we're going to do. I want you to just take two minutes, be praying, and I hope that God might overwhelm you this morning and through this week. Thanks for listening. If you want to know more about the ministries and mission of Tulare Community Church, visit us at tccalive.org.